0: Hello and welcome to the Peter Mackay Motorsport Podcast. Thank you very much indeed for tuning in to this episode. I am delighted to say that we are back with the first podcast of the season talking about Grand Prix motorcycle racing. We were treated to an absolutely fantastic opening of the World Superbike season at Phillip Island last weekend, but... Well, we've been spoiled once again with some great Grand Prix racing action this weekend in Qatar. Now, sadly, we didn't have our normal full contingent of three Grand Prix classes, Moto3, Moto2 and MotoGP. Unfortunately, the Premier class, MotoGP, were missing from proceedings in Qatar. Now, of course, the reason for that is is that the global crisis that is coronavirus. Unfortunately the coronavirus prevented the MotoGP riders and teams from travelling to Qatar to compete in the first round of the MotoGP World Championship. Luckily the Moto2 and Moto3 uh, riders and teams were already out in Qatar when the crisis really hit. So they were already out there doing pre-season testing and were able to stay in Qatar to be able to compete in their first round it is very unclear when the next round of the MotoGP championship for any of the three classes might be because with recent sanctions on um uh, unfortunately in Italy um one of the worst hit countries of the coronavirus unfortunately that a large proportion of the paddock not only riders teams manufacturers are based in Italy uh, and are currently in Italy so unfortunately with with travel restrictions in place it's impossible for the MotoGP Championship to to, to carry on at this stage. Um, um, However, the the situation, of course, is being monitored every single day and hopefully we'll have some good news soon of when we're going to see the next round of the MotoGP Championship. You really have to feel for the organisers, Dorna, trying to juggle this, but they did very well to get two classes, the Moto2 and Moto3, out on track in Qatar. And well done to everyone involved who got that going and <clears throat> as we're used to seeing now, Moto2 and Moto3 put on more than a fantastic show for all of us bike fans who have been starved of action over the winter and actually it was really good because of course as fans normally we're drawn in by the Premier Class, the Moto GP, the big thousand CC monsters with the Hollywood names like Marquez and Vinales and Rossi, Quartararo. But actually, there is some fantastic racing under the surface in Moto 2 and Moto 3. And of course, your Marqueses, your Quartararos, your Vinales's, Mayer, all of these guys, they usually will come through the Moto 3 and Moto 2 classes before stepping up to Moto GP. So, paying attention to the Moto 2 and Moto 3 classes is a great way to see who's going to make it all the way through to the Premier class. Now, because the two races were so eventful and so fantastic to watch, I'm actually going to split this opening podcast into two. We're going to talk about the Moto 2 race first and then we'll do a separate podcast with the Moto 3. Such was the quality of what we saw and so such was the variety of storylines that we saw at the weekend in Qatar. So starting with Moto 2, what did we see? Well, we saw the arrival of Joe Roberts. Joe Roberts, one of... Uh, we've had a long, long wait for an American to come into Grand Prix motorcycle racing and be successful. Really, the last big successful MotoGP rider from the United States was Ben Spees, and, of course, before that was the late, great Nikki ha- Hayden, who is still dearly missed. Um, but Joe Roberts is certainly the strongest candidate that we have seen since Ben Spees and Nicky Hayden to really carry the American flag into the winner's circle of motorcycle Grand Prix racing. Joe Roberts has been in the Grand Prix paddock for a couple of years now, but like many riders in the Moto2 class, if you are on the the wrong machinery or if you're on a bike that's just not quite up to the specification it should be, you will be absolutely nowhere. It's one of the most closely contested, Um, series in all of motorsport on two or four wheels so the slightest disadvantage can really put you far far behind where you need to be and that unfortunately has been the case for joe roberts up to now but in a new team on a brand new calic chassis joe roberts um in the team america team uh is is looking or american racing my apologies is what they what they call it not team america that was a film about 15 years ago um but yeah joe roberts um impressed straight out of the gate straight from their green light uh in free practice one he was off and he was so quick all weekend and qualified his uh, team american racing uh calyx on pole in his very first race with the team Quite an extraordinary achievement when you look at the quality of riders who were sat behind him on the grid. We also saw, in fact, he actually his pole position time was identical to this to the to the very same thousandth of a second as um half-brother of Valentino Rossi, Luca Marini. But Robert's second fastest lap was faster than Marini, so he got the nod onto the front. Um, the front step of the grid to start the race. So Joe Roberts was really the big story of free practice and qualifying, but when it came down to the race, we really saw a huge, uh, a huge battle from a number of different riders. The Qatar Moto2 race was 20 laps underneath the lights because of the lack of the MotoGP class. The Moto2 race it was actually held slightly later than usual, and the drop in temperature caused a little bit of havoc with the Moto2 riders, many of which having to use the super soft tyre rather than the soft tyre. And those that went for the softer option were sometimes seen to actually get a little bit of what's called cold tearing, where the tyre can get damaged uh, by being too soft in the colder temperatures. However, with the slightly harder option, one of which one rider who took that on was Roberts, in fact, those on the harder tyre were also struggled to get heat into the tyre. Of course, a harder tyre is harder to heat up and therefore get grip from. So that was a really interesting um, a really interesting plot line to the race of who was on what tyre. And certainly in the case of Luca Marini, that definitely played a big impact on his result. As the Moto2 riders took the line on their, all on their 765cc Triumph engine tripled machines, we saw a little caption on the side of the screen with many of the MotoGP riders who are all sitting at home watching on their MotoGP video pa- pass on their mobile phone, um, keen to, probably just as keen as us fans, to watch some motorcycle racing action. And what we saw was we saw Moto2 back with a bang. In the last few seasons of the let's call it the Honda era in Moto2 when every rider was given a four-cylinder Honda and basically a Honda Supersport engine a very very high revving and um, high pitched um, uh, engine we actually saw the racing get a little bit stale and Moto2 needed something to um to inject a little bit more quality into the racing we saw a lot of processional races in moto 2 over the last few seasons but without a doubt it is really back at its best and particularly at qatar now qatar usually delivers very good action but this was particularly good one of the best moto 2 races i've seen in a long time so what did we see well we saw a quite an emotional result actually in moto 2 we saw the Japanese rider Tetsu Nagajima win his first ever motorcycle Grand Prix. Starting from 14th on the grid, he carved through the field. As throughout the race, setting fastest lap after fastest lap after fastest lap, making his way up to the front. And as soon as he was able to break to the front in the last few laps, he just disappeared. He riding just in another level to his competitors in his first race with the Red Bull KTM IO team. Now, Tetsu Nagashima has been uh, in Grand Prix racing for quite a while now. He's had 70 Grand Prix starts, and up until last night in Qatar, he had no podium finishes whatsoever. So to come in in the first race of the season, brand new team, brand new bike, and win that race was absolutely exceptional to watch. And you just saw in the post-race press conference in his post-race interview, just just a joy to see this see this guy just beaming from ear to ear with the biggest smile you've ever seen and i must say it's fantastic to see this new era of japanese riders coming into the motorcycle grand prix um paddock we've been again a bit like with the americans we've been starved of really good japanese riders for many years now and it is brilliant to see the Japanese riders coming to the fore. We've got Takaki Nakagami uh, in Moto GP. of course. Now we've got Tetsu Nagashima in Moto2, and in Moto3 we've got um, we've got Suzuki uh, as as well. So we're well we're well served with good Japanese riders. Now, of course, talking of Japanese riders, there was a piece of history made with Nagashima's victory last night at Qatar, because ten years ago. Was the day of the very first Moto2 race. So at the end of 2009 the Grand Prix paddock retired the old 250cc two-stroke motorcycles and moved to the new Moto2 class. And the winner of the first Moto2 race ever was a Japanese rider called Shoya Tomizawa. Now Shoya was a real larger than life character but unfortunately later that season in September he was involved in a tragic accident at the mizano world circuit and 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 sadly passed away and he's been sorely missed in the grand prix paddock ever since and he really was that great japanese hope that everybody everybody was 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 hoping would would make it all the way to the top and many say that he would have made it all the way to the top and tetsu has quite a connection with um with shoya tomizawa not just sharing the same passport, um, being Japanese. But in fact, Tetsu has been racing since he was three years old alongside Shoya. And he followed, basically they raced together all the way through mini bikes, through the all Jap- Japanese championship. And he'd received a lot of help. And he says, you know, Shoya taught me a lot of how to go about racing. And when Shoya won that race, Tetsu was still uh, a, a high school student now, Tetsu, the age of twenty-seven, has three three children of his own, and um, you could just see the emotion pouring out of 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 this uh, of this uh, rider. Um, it was just incredible to see. Of course, Shoya Tomuzawa is incredibly missed in the paddock, but it's brilliant to see Tetsu Nagashima picking up the mantle uh, and winning race and looking like he might be a championship contender li- li- this year. Let's certainly. Hope so, because he was absolutely spectacular at the weekend. (laughs) Now let's talk about Luca Marini. Luca Marini, who is effectively joint pole position with Joe Roberts, the half brother of Valentino Rossi, racing for um, his half brother's team, the VR Forty, the Sky VR Forty Six Moto Two team, which uh, won the world championship. With um, oh my goodness, his name has escaped me. That's terrible. Pecco Bagnaia, that's terrible, Peter. That's awful. Pecco Bagnaia won the uh, Moto Two World Championship a couple of years ago before moving to Moto GP with the VR Forty Six team. And Luca um, Marini has been really came to form last year and looking like throughout the race in Qatar last night that that was continuing. He got a huge hole shot off the, off the line, a really, really good launch um, when the lights went green and made a real break from the front. Now, around mid midway, um, about halfway through the race, Luca Marini really started to stretch a gap um, from, at that time, Joe Roberts, nearly a second in the lead. But then only a couple of laps later, he fell backwards like his bike was missing two gears What had happened was that he had destroyed the tire on his motorcycle so this is one of the things that's so important in motorcycle racing we see it a lot we saw it a lot last year in the premier class in MotoGP GP where Mark Marquez was able to manage he had such pace in hand that he was able to stay at the front of the field but also ride conservatively enough to keep the life in his tire to be able to deploy it with devastating effect in the last three or four laps and go on to win the race and the tire has such a you know if you have your your tires on your road car or road bike they have they have a life um might be 5000 miles might be 15000 miles depending on your driving style or what car you drive or what bike you ride but in motors of course in a racing tire the life is much shorter but of course the performance is much greater but that bike, that tyre that has a certain amount of performance and a certain amount of time that it can last for and how you deploy the speed within that tyre and how you deploy when you use up the grip of that tyre is very very important and Marini just slightly miscalculated that and he paid he really paid the price for it, it was quite extraordinary how he really was building the pace about half distance and looking like he could maybe go on to clear off and win the race but clearly that just that little bit of extra just pushing that little bit harder just took all of the life out of his tire and he fell from first all the way back to 13th I think it was either 13th or 14th place in the last lap now just while he was obviously just trying to hang on and keep the bike upright again most riders possibly could have crashed in that situation but he kept the bike upright to try and finish the race and in the final corner just as he was tipping in to the final right hander. Jake Dixon, the Briton on the Petronas Sprinter um, Moto2 bike, came p- charging up the inside, clipped Luca Marini, and sent him flying over the handlebars. And Luca Marini looked in incredible pain when he got up after that accident. With his, you can just tell when a rider puts their visor up, and you see their eyes closed and s- screwed together. Uh, in pain now these guys anyone who's racing in Grand Prix motorcycle racing is made of very very tough stuff indeed so when you see them in such obvious pain you cannot imagine how painful that might be so let's hope Luke is going to be okay because he's a real favourite for for the title I'm, I'm absolutely sure of it but clearly tyre life um, did not did not do him any favours last night in the race Staying on uh, uh, Italians, we saw Italians uh, Lorenzo Baldassari and Enea Bastianini, two of very few Italian riders in the paddock that are not part of the VR46 Valentino Rossi Rider Academy. Lorenzo Baldessari has been in the past, but is not anymore. He does a lot of motocross training with um, Andrea Dovizioso and, of course, Danilo Petrucci as well but Lorenzo Baldessari and Anea Bastinini put on quite a show for us showing just how particularly let Lorenzo Baldessari just how aggressive they can be and they do not worry about a little bit of contact from fairing to fairing they don't worry a little, little bit of tyre on the leather they are absolutely gunning for it and they were battling tooth and nail through the last few laps and it was just brilliant to see the two riders trading places uh, with each other. But in the post-race press conference, um D'Azari, who won last year's Qatar Moto2 Grand Prix, he, you know, he said he's changed his management, he's gone away from the VR46 setup, he feels much more comfortable, he likes the training regime better, he now trains on his own in the gym rather than in a group, and he's certainly feeling a lot better. And he won three out of the first four races uh, in last year's championship and then fell fell off a cliff slightly, but I, I suspect that we might see something quite different from Lorenzo Baldessari this year, because... I can only imagine for riders when they see him come up behind them, um, if you see Baldessari plus zero on your pit board, that's got to put the fear into you because he is a seriously aggressive rider. Sometimes a little over the line, but you are, you know, in, in combat in Moto 2, and particularly in Moto 3 in the junior class, uh, combat is very much a part of the game in motorcycle racing these days. So, we we were treated to just a cracking race uh, um, at, at the weekend there with Tetsu Nakashima winning the race, Lorenzo Baldassari in second and Anea Bastianini in third. Joe Roberts, the American who we mentioned at the start of the race, rode a fantastic race, managing his tire very carefully. He was on the harder tire, remember. So in some of the in some of the other in some corners trying to keep the heat in that tyre was very, very difficult, but he managed the situation very, very well. And what I particularly noticed that Joe Roberts, given that he's never had the experience of running in the top group before, this is something completely new to him in Grand Prix racing. He was so calm in traffic. And of course he had, you know, the, the old, the stereotypical Italian hotheads, Baldessari and Bastianini crashing about in, uh, around them, but he just kept his head with such maturity um, f- maturity far beyond uh, his experience. And after the race, he said, you know, I felt very comfortable following Luca Marini. Um, it was no problem. You know, I was able to sit there. He said, I would have loved a podium, but I can't be disappointed. I'm just delighted to be here and to be up the front. And I think we're going to see a lot more of Joe Roberts this year. Also, another big motorcycling name, Remy Gardner. Now, of course, Joe Roberts is a ca- he's from California as was the, the legendary Kenny Roberts. No no relation whatsoever, funnily enough. But it is funny when you see oh, Roberts trade, trading places with Gardner. Of course, Wayne Gardner, his son Remy Gardner, is racing in the Moto2 World Championship. And he came in fifth uh, on uh, on Sunday. Quite an exceptional performance. You know, he said it was like a podium um, for us. And he said, you know, one more lap and I would have made the podium. Remy Gardner came on very very strong at the end of the race in the early stages of the race He dropped back really struggling with a full tank of fuel on his bike And also with him being a slightly heavier rider. He's quite a tall rider Remy Gardner So at the start of the race when the bike is filled up with petrol Obviously, it's carrying a lot more weight than it will at the end of the race or Perhaps when you're setting a hot lap in qualifying when you'll run the bike with less fuel in it to reduce the weight and therefore the speed But for heavier riders with a full tank of fuel, sometimes this can play havoc on how the bike behaves. Sometimes getting it to stop, getting it to turn, that extra weight is always going to be a disadvantage. And that certainly was the case for Gardner in the early stages of the race, um, dropping all the way back to 11th. But as the race went on and the fuel drained out of his bike as it was used up through the race, he really pushed towards the podium positions and, you know, he noticed, he says, you know, I saw everyone began struggling and he says, and I could push onto the front and I just attacked and attacked and attacked and, and, and that's exactly what he did. It's worth remembering that Gardner is the only rider uh, who is actually racing last year's 2019 specification, Cali Chassis. Now, of course, that is a championship winning chassis, however, the... To be on the 2020 version is, of course, advantageous. The 2020 version has a number of um, improvements to it. The 2020 Cali chassis apparently is a lot better on the tyre life, which, as we saw, was a big and big thing uh, at, at the weekend. But Gardner looks comfortable on that bike. And, of course, if he's able to you know, score top five finishes like he did at the weekend on this older chassis, that will be noticed by those who need to know within the MotoGP paddock, and hopefully we might see the Garner name back in the premier class of motorcycle racing, just like his father Wayne, the 1987 world 500cc motorcycle champion. I hope you enjoyed uh, hearing a little bit about the first round of the Moto2 Championship. Um, Tune in shortly for the Moto3 uh, race report, there's some really cool stuff going on there, particularly Scotsman John McPhee. Performing incredibly well and finishing in second position. If you're new to the podcast or if you haven't um, listened to the last couple of episodes, I have good news. We have a little bit of a competition, a wee a wee giveaway with our friends at HeelTread.com. HeelTread.com produce a number of motorsport-inspired socks um, in the in in the, the design of lots lots of classic liveries in motorsport. And for the next couple of weeks we're going to run a competition where we will give away a pair of their lovely comfy socks to one of our subscribers. So if you're not already a subscriber, all you need to do to be in with a chance of winning a pair of their lovely socks is just to download the Podbean app and subscribe or follow uh, the show. If you do that, you will be you may be in with a chance of winning a pair of Heel Tread's lovely socks. Also, um, as part of our partnership with HeelTread.com, we will be telling a number of the stories uh, which have inspired some of their sock designs. So last week, we talked about um, the wins for GT at Le Mans. And coming up this week, we'll be talking about the Audi Quattro Rally Car. We've got a couple of other great episodes lined up for that as well. So check that out and, and good luck in the competition. Thank you very much for listening to this episode and I look forward to speaking to you again very soon.